Hello and welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and without us today is Sebastian. But uh, it is not so. It, it is uh, fear not, uh, regular listeners of the LGBTQ talk show Can Queer. Uh, we will be seeing him back to back to us next week. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of a uh, lot of ground to cover. Even though we have this uh, lined up, I earlier this week uh, I had the absolute pleasure of having an interview with. Um, Dr. Christopher Wells, who is a Research Canada Chair on uh, Child and Youth, uh, particularly. And we started talking about, we had a conversation about uh, really what has been a major hot topic for the last little while in terms of... um, uh, in terms of gender pronouns and so on in in the high schools, so uh, we will also be joined uh, hopefully any moment now by uh, we're doing an interview with the incredible festival over in Montreal, the uh, Massimadi Festival. Um, Naomi Cameron, who is the project manager for Momentum, the uh, the uh, mentorship initiative that they have, will hopefully be joining us uh, very soon. I have one eye. On uh, on the Zoom, hoping that they will they will jump in. If not, we'll uh, jump to him song, give them a call on the uh, on the old fashioned phone, and see if we can get them in that way. But whilst we wait for them to connect, we have a couple of updates. Now, folks will possibly cast their mind back and remember that uh, one of the linchpins behind the United States uh, equal marriage court cases was the decision by Kim Davis, who is a Kentucky County clerk. Uh, she refused, point blank, to marry David Emerald and David Moore. Um, and then that created a whole, uh, really, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? A domino effect of court cases, one right after the other, all the way up to the Supreme Court, with the Supreme Court eventually uh, deciding in favor of it. Um, even despite the Supreme Court decision, David, K- uh, um, sorry, Kim Davis uh, insisted that despite being elected to office where she has to abide by the laws of that office, uh, she insisted still on not uh, certifying the marriage of David uh, Ermold and David Moore. Uh, she has just lost the final appeal of the appeal of the appeal, um, and has they have been awarded 50000 uh, in damages after that. This has been going on um, since 2015. So it's been, what are we looking at, seven years now, eight years, since she made that refusal um, to to participate uh, yeah, so it's all going on. Another interesting news, we've been talking about, uh, a few times in the show, we've been talking about how the culture has been shifting and uh, the sort of anti-wokeism backlash that has uh, emerged and so on and so forth. And there's an interesting uh, outcome that we want to share with folks. We mentioned a little while back about how Chick-fil-A, which for a long time was very much panned and, and decried as its uh, most senior leadership. I think the president of the board or the CEO uh, regularly donated to causes that actively uh, lobbied and advocated against LGBTQ rights um, in various states around the United States, as well as anti-abortion initiatives. Uh, the restaurant famously 
isn't open on Sundays in the United States. Uh, but despite this deep-rooted uh, homophobic history um, in terms of funding anti-gay initiatives, uh, they still expanded and they have, I believe, thriving businesses in Canada, including in downtown Toronto. But they also had several businesses in the United Kingdom until people really started to figure out that maybe this isn't a business that is worth, uh, you know, supporting. They have the unfortunate uh, challenge in the UK of going up against well-established rivals, such as Nando's, which has a bit of a fledgling presence here in uh, in Canada, um, as well as a number of other chicken joints from across the world. I think there's a uh, UAE um, uh, chicken place as well that uh, has actually just recently opened in Canada as well. But anyway, there, a lot of people are like, you know, if I want to buy chicken, I can buy chicken in lots of places. And these other places aren't as actively homophobic as Chick-fil-A. Uh, so I'd much rather just get my chicken from, from over there instead. And that, with boycotts and protests, Chick-fil-A shut shop and essentially evacuated the country of Great Britain, um, closing all of its stores and leaving with its tail between its legs. Now, however, sensing a bit of a shift in the political winds, um, Britain has been under a conservative government for, uh, I think it's like 10, 10, 12, maybe 13 years now. Uh, they've gone through more prime ministers than any country reasonably should. Uh, and they have now decided that they're going to move, go back to Britain and uh, relaunch a whole bunch of stores. Hopefully, I think they're banking on Brits having short-term memories um, and uh, hopefully thinking that they won't, uh, they won't recall the fact that they were boycott. But it's interesting because they're planning to spend $100 million to crack that particular market. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a, a whole range of things happening. I am not seeing Naomi joining us on the call. So whilst I line up our first track, which is uh, Marigold, the clean version by Begonia, we will be jumping to that in just a few seconds. But whilst I line that up, I also wanted to share some pretty interesting news out of Andorra. Uh, the Andorran Prime Minister, Xavier Espo Zamora, has come out as gay in a national radio interview um, just last week. But most importantly, he kind of pointed out, despite being gay, he's never hidden it, uh, just never really advertised it either. Um, he is now apparently the eighth head of state to be openly gay worldwide. Um, that's sort of where we're at. Um, but yeah, his point to the Andorian national um, press was, you know, it's not been an issue for me. I've not flaunted it, but I haven't hid it. But most importantly, if to young Andorian children in, in the country, um, this now makes politics something that is potentially possible. And we talk a lot on the show about being seen and seeing yourself represented in places to be able to uh, to um, see what's possible. Anyway, we are jumping now to Marigold, the clean version by Begonia. And we will be back just after this, hopefully with our interview with the festival out of Montreal.
welcome back to Kangway, home of Canada's queer media. My name is still Luke Smith. We have reached out to the uh, the festival, uh, Massive Maddie. Now we are quite excited about this. We will, you know, go ahead and recommend folks reach out to it anyway. The Massive Maddie Foundation they do a couple of different things, uh, and they've combined them both this year for the fifteenth anniversary, uh, which is very ex- uh, very exciting. They are really focused on promoting. Uh, out LGBTQQ2I plus uh, African folks um, to really um, to really celebrate the arts and culture of Black LGBTQ communities and providing a platform for the dissemination that advances the artistic creation of Black and queer communities. Um, the reason why we're talking about this festival that really is centered in Montreal, we're not actually commonly broadcasting in Montreal, but I'm sure there are people in Montreal listening. Um, but for folks who are not in Montreal, and I'm thinking, why are you talking about this festival in Montreal? I'm nowhere near it. But they are really focused on promoting really emerging artists, uh, filmmakers, screenwriters, and uh, they do a number of workshops as part of this initiative, conferences, mentorship, um, and all kinds of other support to take uh, some of these emerging creators to help them create a thing which is then released at this festival. What's of note here is that it's being released online uh, and can be viewed by anyone nationwide. So we're pretty excited about uh, about uh, about that. Uh, we were notified about the 15th anniversary edition. It is Canada's only Afro-queer film and arts festival, uh, according to uh, their their press statements. Um, And their program is available nationwide. So yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, on September the 7th, they were celebrating their 15th anniversary. It's going now from the 11th through to the 30th. Lots of opportunity to go and check out the... the, um, what uh, what's available and what's on offer and uh yeah we will uh we will hopefully get uh, get naomi on the call to see more details um but yeah we are excited about it hopefully as i said we can make this connection work and go from there but once we do i'm going to be talking a little bit about the brandy lancaster library Uh, Now, this is in Kansas. We do occasionally mention it. And I think this is a good... We seem to mention this a lot. Examples of where extreme reactions have really blown over. You know, we... we, we, You know, I believe that our audience is very uh, um, measured. You are reasonable people. But the folks in charge over at this Kansas library may not have been as measured and may not have been as reasonable. Two librarians have now sued the Sterling Free Public Library in Sterling, Kansas, uh, after they claimed that they were fired in June for displaying uh, what was allegedly a rainbow symbol and a Pride Month display. The Kansas Librarians Board was so outraged at the idea of promoting LGBTQ material that they immediately fired two librarians um however it was the rainbow infinity symbol which is a logo that is very often used by neurodivergent and autism rights advocates 
So the display and the selection and the symbology was around promoting books and contents written by and written for, uh, written about folks who are neurodivergent and autistic um, to kind of raise awareness and understanding in their community uh, in Kansas. But it seems like awareness and understanding was in pretty short supply in Sterling, Kansas, as their board uh, fired the librarians outright um, believing wrongly uh, under some uh, bit of a homophobic misjudgment uh, that it was a, an attempt at a pride display um, and not as it was actually a, um, a display around uh, promoting understanding for neurodivergent folks. It even said, you know, we all think differently and it was a, just a selection of books and a small window display. And I think this gives us a good idea of really taking a moment here to just allow karma heads to karma heads to prevail um, as uh, as it goes on. All right, what I'm going to do now is we are going to jump to our interview that we did earlier in the week with uh, Dr. Wells. This interview discusses a, a number of things, in particular legislation that was proposed uh, in New Brunswick, Alberta, and I think even Ontario is toying with the idea around um, parental rights and the rights of the child. This man is uh, one of the leading experts in the country uh, on um, young youth, especially LGBT youth. Uh, we were very, very lucky to be able to have him join us. We will continue to try and connect with Naomi. Um, but until then, this is the interview with Dr. Wells, and we will be back after this. Hello, and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. This is the interview that I was uh, excitedly uh, referring to a little earlier before we dived into our, our other interview with the festival. Um, I am very excited to have on the line the incredibly talented Dr. Christopher Wells. Now, your resume is uh, really speaks for itself, but for our audience, I think what's really worth noting here is that not only are you a professor at the University of McEwen, you're, you're the Canada Research Chair, Tier 2, for the public understanding of sexual and gender minority youth. You're also the editor-in-chief of the International Journal of LGBT Youth. I, I don't think we could have found an expert with more expertise in the subject matter that we're going to be diving into today. Well, thank you. Thanks for that uh, generous introduction. My mom will be very happy to uh, hear it <laughs> when I play this back. But I think first and foremost, what you know, how I describe myself to people is uh, I'm a teacher. I came as a classroom teacher. I came to the university working alongside LGBTQ youth in our community. And that's what drove me to do further studies was to figure out how to make schools safer and more inclusive for them. And so, you know, that's always been my my focus is not really in doing the research as much as as mobilizing the research out into the communities to help make the change that uh, we need to see. I think we are at a moment in time, and, and just before you spoke, we uh, just before we started recording, um, you talked about that idea of what is old is now new again. And I want to kind of set the scene for our listeners. You know, we have been, the LGBT folks uh, have been decried as different as other um, I recently watched um, a documentary on Netflix about the El Dorado 
uh, in Berlin, uh, really talking about the the nineteen the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen twenties being the center of research into sexuality and gender identity, and trans folks were walking around, uh, you know, bold as brass because that's what was possible in the nineteen twenties. You know, a hundred years later. Uh, and we seem to be digging up this old manure of an argument um, around, you know, the idea of danger and risk and and uh, what have you. So, as you see various provinces and various politicians, more often than not, conservative politicians uh, advocating for what has been coined parental rights. This discussion around being able to publicly identify yourself as trans under the age of 18, or even accessing healthcare is now up for debate, um, is suddenly outrageous. It's the cause du jour. It is, uh, it is the big topic of the day. Does this surprise you in any way? It doesn't uh, surprise me. It disappoints me greatly, and it angers me. And, and, and I think many, many individuals that, here we go again, we're having to fight these battles uh, all over again. It's it's as though, right, that queer children don't exist, right? And that it's a threat for them to exist and to be visible and that somehow we magically just appear as adults, right? But for many of us, we know we had to go through that that period of of struggle and 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 depression where we felt we had to remain hidden to be able to survive. Uh, and the impacts that that had on our own mental health and well-being. And what, you know, gives me such great hope is to see, you know, queer young people be themselves at earlier and earlier ages and to find communities of support and affirmation and families that love and not only accept them, but celebrate them for, for who they are, right? This is just a, a you know, tremendous uh, change, I think, in our community. And, and we're seeing that now being under attack and it as an educator it doesn't surprise me that this is happening and targeting schools because i really believe that schools number one are at the heart of our communities and um you know and it's where we're raising our next generation of leaders of you know citizens in this country and so you know to have um this queerness be you know visible you know, in our school system is a threat to the very future of our society by some people. So they want to take over schools. They they're 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 not just concerned with pronouns and chosen names, but they're they want to censor books. Uh, they want to write to us LGBTQ people out of uh, curriculum. You know, out of our textbooks. And I often say, what does it mean as a as a queer young person if you don't see yourself in the halls and the walls and and the textbooks in your classroom? Right. It it sends this message that you don't exist or you don't have a right to exist. And you know, this is also we've seen you know uh, in Ontario and other places in Alberta for sure battles over gay straight alliances right in schools and and we won those battles and here we go again now they're targeting the most vulnerable with uh, you know trans and, and non-binary young people and their right to 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 name themselves to self-identification um uh, and you know as though you know this was a problem and and it's not a problem schools have been doing this for a long time mm -hmm. and without incident that it's being this manufactured political controversy for um, you know, very concerning reasons, like you know, a real distraction, really, a, a political tactic from the real issues that matter to most Canadians: the economy, right, food inflation, housing, 
Um, and so it's no surprise to me that this is a, a conservative governments that are, are leading this attack on our 2S LGBTQ communities um, under the guise of right parental rights as though right parents own their children and should have complete unrestricted say over, you know, the, their very lives and, and well-being. I want to dive into that in just a moment. But before we do, you know, this is, you know, I, I referenced as far back as the, you know, 1920s. And then we think about, uh, you know, Thatcher in the 80s and Section 52, which attempted to uh, ban gay people from being inside schools. It seems like every generation, God forbid the gays, um, and now in this case, uh, young trans folks um, seems to have bubbled up. When you were speaking, you reminded me of an interview I did about 10 years ago with, I want to say, Margaret McMillan, but I think she wrote a history book and she's not the lady I'm thinking of. Um, but I interviewed the uh, leading doctor at the gender clinic in Ottawa 10 years ago. And we were talking about what was, I thought, fantastic news. Just to bear with us for a second here, listeners, we know, and a bit of a trigger warning here, we know that suicide ideation among trans folks is a magnitude of double figures higher than non-trans folks. Trans folks who are not provided with appropriate care and support, um, frankly, struggle to survive. And that is played out in hundreds and thousands of deaths. Like, it is a sad, grim Canadian reality that trans folks don't always survive. And then in steps earlier recognition, in steps loving relationships and families and medical care. And we know from trans folks that being able to transition sooner, so you're not reversing any kind of biological development, you know, that uh, they transition more easily that there's more cultural acceptance and that suicide ideation drops off a bloody cliff because there is you know all of these support we were in a place where young trans folks their lives are being effectively saved by us moving forward as a canadian people but now the debate in, you know, at the recent conservative convention is about access to healthcare until you're over 18. That undermines all that, you know, and I think it speaks, and you touched on it briefly, this idea of children as chattel or as the property of their parents. You know, I've known, been sort of somewhat familiar uh, with, uh, you know, the, the uh, Children's Aid Society, not myself directly personally, but there are plenty of, of parents that don't have a stellar record and may not have the rights of the child uh, first and foremost. So as we have the Minister of Education in Ontario saying, I consulted with experts, i.e. some parents of some children, how concerned are you by that? Well, ab absolutely. The first question is which experts, right? Because the all the experts that we know actually uh, fully support whether you're talking about health, education, um, you know, gender affirmation, right? And 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 the exactly to what you said, gender affirmation, gender affirmative care is suicide prevention, right? And it's proven 
to show. And, you know, the message I have with with parents, too, is is simple. It's right. You, you need to love your children for who they are or you will lose them. Right. They will run away or they will have an estranged relationship with you for the rest of their lives or they'll take their own life. And the, and the choice of that relationship, the quality of that relationship is largely up to you as the parent, right? You're the adult here, you know, in this, in this relationship. And, and we know, um, you know, this, this notion of if you're not safe at home, right, um, then, you know, you go to school. And if your school is not a safe and accepting environment for you, well, too often, right, then what's left for you, it's the streets, right? And it's becoming houseless or, or street involved. And, and that amplifies all of your risk factors exponentially. Um, we know it's a lot harder to get a young person off the street than to prevent them from being on the street in the first place. And so, you know, this this notion that now somehow governments wants to legislate outing, you know, trans and non-binary kids by asking their parents for permission to affirm, you know, their gender identity or their name. And and it's a bit of this whole debate is 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 a bit of a misnomer because all parents ever have to do if they want to know this information is simply ask your child, right? It's not the job of the school to tell you or the medical professional to tell you these things, right? If your child feels safe and and comfortable having this discussion with you, they will, right? And and nobody's hiding information from parents, right? In fact, many ways what we're doing is working with these young people to facilitate that conversation with their parents and young people I've had to work with. One of the, you know, realities is I we have to talk about a safety plan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what happens if it doesn't go well with your parent, right? And and you feel at threat in your home environment or they, you know, kick you out. And, and that's the other reality. You know, research shows that, you know, upwards of, of 40% of all homeless uh, youth in Canada uh, identify as 2SLGBTQ plus or somewhere on that sexual and gender diversity spectrum. So we have a huge overrepresentation and it's because of the major social institutions in their lives family, school, government have failed to support and protect them. So, you know, we know there are these risk factors, but working with these young people to develop, right, the tools to have these conversations, to put a safety plan, you know, in place. And we're really, our goal in particular in schools is to always put the best interests of the child first, right? Not the best interests of the parent first. Um, and so, right, that, that necessitates, you know, almost a one-on-one -on -one individualistic approach, right? Because no one sort of comes out the same way, no one transitions the same sort of way. And, uh, but ultimately, these young people need to know that there's somebody in their lives who supports them, right? Even if it's not their their family, or they're, they're scared of their family's reaction, maybe it's a coach, right, on a sports team they play with, or maybe it's their, we would hope, right, uh, uh, you know, the a church leader, or a teacher or somebody in their their lives that uh, the research tells us young people need at least one supportive adult in their life. And we hope that they would have many. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's still not always, always the case. You know, I get the sense that this parental rights argument is a red herring. And it is painful to, to discuss because when you talk to Joe Schmo on the street and you say, should parents be told about, you know, a quite significant life change? You know, one's own gender identity is, is, is a pretty big thing. You know, nobody is going to look at that and go, no, do not tell the parents that's outrageous. Don't tell them, you know, no one's, 
it, it's it's an impossible position to argue from. However, you know, we're looking at reams of data, disproportionate number of homeless youth are LGBT, disproportionate, uh, you know, rates of suicide ideation. You know, it, it just, all the data seems to suggest that there are some truly horrific outcomes that could happen. Abusive family homes, you know, not every home is as pleasant as the person who's listening to this. You know what I mean? Like some people don't have the best crack in life. Is that done on purpose? Are we being told that this is a, a a danger, the big liberal state going too far, not telling the parents? You know, is that uh, a young tr um, trans folks, young trans students being made the scapegoat here? Yeah, I, I, I would say so that, uh, you know, this is, is part of, you know, this belief that really the so-called parental rights is really focused on targeting the 2S LGBTQ plus community. They're not concerned with other children in schools and what they're learning. And particularly our, our trans and non-binary young people, you know, th there's a belief that these are not legitimate or real identities, that these are somehow a fad or a new phenomenon. To your earlier point as though trans individuals have not existed and flourished in past history. Um, you know, that somehow what under undermines this is that old don't say gay, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, legislation and this belief that particularly we're seeing in places like Florida and Texas and others that um, believe that somehow this is a contagion or a pathology that um, still that this is a choice or a lifestyle. Remember, you know, those classic phrases that we, we've heard for decades. It, it's it's really interesting to me too because you know the same arguments we heard against legalizing same-sex marriage in Canada are here they come again right under a new form a new way and it's actually you know the folks who protested against same-sex marriage who protested against inclusion of gender identity and gender expression in our human rights um, laws who protested against the banning of conversion therapy practices all of those arguments uh, underlie the same parental rights sort of movement we hear is that, you know, that uh, it's dangerous for 2S LGBTQ people to exist in society. They represent a threat and, um, you know, and they represent a direct threat, particularly to so-called vulnerable, impressionable children, that somehow they're being led astray into this sinister you know, deviant lifestyle that will result in right, the destruction of, of society and and all of these old, tired, stereotypical arguments. And so what's what's uh, I think disappointing and, and alarming is the momentum that some of this seems to uh, be um, carrying in Canada, particularly with conservative governments and now the Conservative Party of Canada. We know that actually all of these uh, policy changes, these legislative proposals are all a violation of human rights and a violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is why, for example, Premier Scott Moe in Saskatchewan is now openly amused about using the notwithstanding clause over pronouns and chosen names in schools to exempt um, basically to legalize uh, discrimination against vulnerable young people. Like, you know, what kind of government does that? That's more of a, a dictatorship rather than a democracy. And, mm -hmm. and to see these kind of influences being led by the rise of populism, uh, you know, not only here in Canada, but across the world. And we just have to look at what's happening in Russia, targeting the LGBT community, Africa, 
you know, Brazil, Italy, um, the 2SLGBT community becomes the convenient scapegoat for these far right governments to demonize and to villain villainize, right, uh, so-called public enemy um, to focus people's uh, attention uh, and distract them from, you know, the real important issues that are going on. You know, I think it might be worth even zeroing in a little bit more local, and I'm going to zero in incredibly local here. It is astonishing the amount of people power that some politicians are putting into this war on pronouns when there is a nationwide shortage in bus drivers. Like, does it really matter what your child refers to themselves with if they can't physically get to school due to a nationwide bus driver shortage? You know what I mean? And, and I, that, I think, exemplifies the look over there, um, you know, issue that's happening here. There are real, real dynamic issues related to localized tax rates, related to priorities in spending for school boards in terms of air quality checks that were promised in school boards all over the country. You know, COVID has now been recommended to mask up again, get your next sort of vaccines. But let's focus our attention instead on whether or not we call them he, her, or they. And I think that this is kind of the, ex the exasperation that the queer community is feeling. It's like, look, we get it. You know, this is... You know, the Fast and Furious franchise is built around the concept of Mafamilia because it rings so powerfully true to so many people. Like, they are strumming the heartstrings of the Canadian nation here around your, your own children, about your ability to have conversations around the schooling. But they're doing so because they don't necessarily want you to look at that bus driver crisis, to look at the state of the economy, the fact that Loblaws is bringing in billions in profits, so feeding your child is becoming more and more difficult. Don't look at those issues. Don't look at getting to school. Don't look at feeding them at school. Don't look at those issues. Look at whether or not we can refer to them as he, she, or they without personally notifying you that that's the case. You know, it's, I don't know, I, it, I can understand why it has become such a political hot potato because it really is uh i don't know it, it, it's a lot you know i'm wondering then as somebody who has been researching lgbt youth for as long as you have in on, on a range of topics where do you where do you think we are at in terms of this wheel of history that every now and then seems to trample queer folks underneath it well, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it seems cyclical, you know, that for those uh, who re remember the 1970s and Anita Bryant, Miss Florida Orange Juice and her uh, campaign of hate under the Save Our Children uh, mantra that sought to, um, you know, uh, uh, roll back um, ordinances that uh, were passed in, for example, in Miami-Dade County that included sexual orientation, um, uh, you know, in the city to, to prevent people from being fired from being a city employee or to be a, a teacher or a police officer and, uh, you know, campaigned against that successfully and got them rolled back. It's so in, sort of with this, this belief that, you know, um, uh, being gay or lesbian at the time was a public menace or was a, a danger, right? And again, it was all orchestrated that this was dangerous to kids that, you know, since gays couldn't reproduce, they had to recruit was her famous 
saying, and our community's mobilized and they fought back when Anita Bryant brought her tour, you know, through Canada, um, communities protested and met her on the streets. And even when she came to Edmonton in 1978, um, you know, it was a non-binary protester who chained themselves to the fence at the concert. And, um, you know, in this this notion of peaceful protest and yelled throughout the concert, Anita, you have us in chains, you know, um, uh, just this, I think we need to turn back to this, uh, these forms of protest and these forms of fighting back and uh, learn the lessons of the past and the tremendous ad- activism and the advocacy that our community has always done, you know, the lessons we've learned through fighting through the HIV and AIDS crisis um, and not become complacent, right? And I'm very concerned in our own queer community that there are many who don't want to support trans and non-binary individuals, right? It's sort of to sever off the T from the, and just leave it as being the lesbian and gay and bisexual. And and that's not our past history. That's not, you know, our community needs to include everyone. No one gets left behind. And a lot of that speaks to our own internalized transphobia and I think just in the public, you know, maybe we can think about equating it to where our understanding was of gay and lesbian issues 30 years ago, right? That's sort of where I think, you know, public people are understanding transgender. There's more visibility, but there's less understanding that's come with come with that. So I think it speaks to us to be even more visible, to be even more vocal, to call on more of our allies to stand up, right? Now is the time where allies don't back down, but they double down. And they talk about how can we provide more supports to the community um, to uh, meet these new these new kind of challenges. And I think, you know, fundamentally, we're already seeing that because we're seeing, you know, communities come together and start to take these governments to court because we know these policies are fundamentally discriminatory. Our laws are quite different in Canada than they are in the United States. And we know, right, if history teaches us anything, that we'll fight them through the courts and we will win. And, I, and it's more disturbing that governments are maybe even now aware of that and don't care and are willing to suspend laws and human rights in this country, you know, all over a chosen name and a student's pronoun and basically, you know, their right to be safe and, and cared for in their, their schools and in their communities. Like, you know, to me, that's unconscionable that we would target the most vulnerable, particularly our young people. You know, it makes me politicians work from the will of the people. And I think really at this point, we are speaking to the audience. You know, we're speaking to folks listening. Your local representatives will respond to, you know, everyone says, call your representative, call your representative. And I don't know, personally, I've almost never called my local representative because there are very few times where I'm like, okay, maybe this is something I need to need to talk about. But the reason why some of these premiers are emboldened to have these conversations is because they are hearing from enough people that they think it is the will of the people. And just think about that. If you're listening to this and maybe you're apathetic, maybe you haven't really spoken on either side, then your voice is missing from that conversation. You are not involved in that conversation. And they are only hearing from what is a very organized, uh, more fundamental 
uh, element of the community. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about um, an evangelist conference in, I think, St. Catharines, where they were very much organizing at the school board level to address the rise of LGBTQ presence across the country. You know, they are organized. Their voice is heard. Gay folks were more apathetic than we should be, but we're starting to speak up as well. But it's everyone else. You know, if you're not talking about this, then you're not talking and you are not involved. And I think that I have a lot of faith in Canadians as a whole. And we've seen surveys out of the UK, for example, that found that the vast majority of people in Britain, and I haven't seen the similar one here in Canada yet, but the vast majority of people are either not particularly bothered or would rather, you know, focus on Loblaws charging too much for a can of beans or, you know, school buses not being remotely available. You know, they'd rather focus on real issues and allow people to just live their lives in the best way that we can manage, you know, and not spend all of this time and political capital on whether or not we say he, she, or they, you know, I just, it's unbelievably frustrating, but I'm hoping that uh, our listeners will uh, hopefully take some time to think about it because there's lives. There are lives on the line here. Um, do you have any closing comments for our listeners? Just to that, to that point, uh, you know, there was a recent poll that came out of what were the, the, the top issues for Canadians. And I can tell you in the top 10, none of them were pronouns and none of them were about chosen names or or you know trans or non-binary health issues right they were the the big issues that matter to most canadians and they want their politicians focusing in on right but um you know the economy you know food inflation housing you know all all of those everyday reality you know issues to be able to provide shelter and 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 food for your you know your your family and yourself um, so again, that you know, these are distractions. But to your point, right? We need to speak out. Silence uh, equals consent, right? We can't be that silent majority. Um, uh, a lot of these uh, these these attempts now to take over school boards to control what's being taught in schools. And, you know, they're coming first for the 2SLGBT community, but make no mistake, they're going to come for the other communities too, the other, you know, minority communities in this country. And a lot of this is being led by, you know, the groups that um, had opposed uh, abortion uh, in Canada. And now they've refocused to target on the 2SLGBT community because it's all about bodily control and autonomy, right, of your body and of your future and of your identity, right, the right so-called to, to, to choose to have that know um that lgbt people are not procreating so therefore right they're 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 not a productive part of of society of course we know right that that is a is a total stereotype and a and a, and a myth but um it all sort of comes back to this conservative evangelical uh belief and so you know perhaps as communities you know what we need to do is is remind ourselves of that maybe, you know, pride needs to return to being a protest more than ever right now. Mm -hmm. And it, it's one thing to have a party, but um, it's another thing for us to, to remember that, um, you know, the rights that we won can be uh, rolled back and that human rights are fragile. And we're seeing this, this attack. 
and and the fact that it's attacking our most vulnerable are our, our, our young people who are the you know not only the futures of a society the future of our 2s lgbt community and we want them to have pride right in their identity and and for many ways not to have to go through some of the same struggles or or crap that we had to go through right we're the ones here speaking today because we're the ones who survived we know the many we can all name and and see those faces of those who didn't and you know and part of us is fighting for them to to make it through and and you know not just to survive but to thrive right and to bring that queer sense of joy and that that community and that vibrancy you know back front and center in, in our communities so um get out get involved right you know so support progressive candidates get out run for your own school board right go out to your own pride committee and talk about right the need to do more than just celebrate but get out and involved in protecting our young people and uh, advocating and fighting for our rights and holding people accountable right and then holding our allies accountable and say right it's one thing to come and and show up at our pride parade but it's another thing to speak out within your own organization when our rights are under attack so there's there's a lot that i think we can be doing and and again holding when these governments are going to pass these regressive pro policies well you know well you're going to take them to court but that takes support that takes resources and you know and it's tiring the fact that we have to keep fighting to defend our very right to exist many of us thought right that that time was over right and and we could just focus on living our lives but you know, it's not over. And right. uh, perhaps, you know, now is the time more than ever for us to get out and get involved in, in some ways, right, get angry and use that anger not to debilitate us, but to motivate us. Absolutely. Well, that, thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Bas, for, um, for joining us today and, and speaking on this. It is, uh, it's a powerful topic. We will be back just after this. Hello and welcome back to Can Korea Home. Darling, darling, I know you better than most. Rolling, 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 rolling down the West Coast. on the wheel, pedal to the steel, I want you to feel, any way you want, just keep the fire burning, baby, keep the fire burning, baby, keep the fire burning, baby, burning all night, ain't nothing more I Our minds, stressing out of time. Look in my eyes. Anyway, you know, just keep the fire burning, baby. Keep the fire burning, baby. Keep the fire burning, baby. I'm burning like a fire in the furnace of the 
that was Keep the Fire Burning by Goldschatz. And uh, it, clearly it has been a bit of a day today. Uh, one day that Sebastian is not here and I have interviews repeating them themselves, songs not playing the right way through. Um, clearly I uh, cannot do this without him, but uh, whatever you do, don't tell him that. Uh, I am very excited. We are joined now by Naomi. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. I'm just going to turn you up a smidge so that our listeners can hear you as well. Um, wonderful. Now, earlier in this show, I did very briefly just mention uh, the Masimadi uh, festival that's happening. But I really, I don't think I could give it anywhere the kind of credence um, as you could. So do you want to just let our listeners know what the festival is? But bearing in mind that we have folks listening in Toronto, in, in Vancouver, and all over the place, and not necessarily in Montreal, you know, why and, and how can they get involved? Sure. So first of all, the Foundation Matsumadzi is a foundation um, created to support and promote um, visual arts, so especially movies in the industry from the Afro-descendant community, but also LGBTQ+. Um, as you said, we're definitely based in Montreal, but to, we um, so through this festival, we have many activities in person, um, outside projection, uh, inside also in um, movie theaters. We have uh, panels, also conversation about the industry itself, but mainly it's about um, the online showcasing of Afro-queer um, content, short film, uh, long film, everything. So all of those are available online all over Canada. Now, when I was looking over it, and, and I know that you're the, the project manager for Momentum, you know, I think that's the piece that really sort of jumped out at me, this this mentorship, this engagement, the the, the workshops, the, the conferences, you know, how much work has been put into supporting these emerging screen creators, you know, these these uh, screenwriters and, and creators to, to kind of create these products that folks might be able to see? Um, a lot, you know, it's really hard to have content uh, from this community uh, on screen. So the point of this program, which is the first one of its category at Masimazi, is to support very strong base to content, which is like around movies and short film. So the point is really, like I said, create a strong base, which is usually a strong scenario. And to do that, we have to give them the opportunity to have access to information, to support in, inside the industry. So having mentoring, having, um, you know, workshop on how to penetrate that industry, how to talk to a producer, um, all little things that we, we don't really see. We just see like the, the act of writing a scenario, but also to sell it, to pitch it, it's something else. What's some of the feedback that you've had from the participants that have been involved in this? You know, what, what, what are they saying about the, what they've learned and also about what they've been able to create from this support? Well, the program has just started, so we only are at the few uh, first sessions. But so far, everybody's really thrilled. They're really happy mostly to have this safe space to share the stories they want to tell. They don't want to, you know, they want to share and, and have this community and be able to have feedback in a constructive way where they can be their own selves without judgment, without being criticized. So that's mainly the main important point of this program is to give them uh, that sense of community and safe space where they can grow and, and create 
um, you know, enjoy peace. <laughs> I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot on the show about uh, various film festivals, specifically LGBTQ uh, film festivals, and really encouraging uh, creators to, to, very often it's, it's not seeing yourself and then taking that step to create something so that yourself is represented. You know, that's that's a heck of a lot to take on. There's a lot of expectations there, a lot of pressures on there, a lot of forces pushing back against it. Um, what words of wisdom would you give to our audience to encourage them to just take a few minutes and go check out the website and, and see uh, uh, some of these films? Well, first of all, I think Afro-queer is everywhere. Uh, Afro and queer separately is everywhere. It could be your friend, it could be your cousin, your sister. So we're all connected in a certain way. And those stories, we are connected. If, if Even if it's not directly your story, you will know somebody who has lived that. And that helps you understand um, what people are going through and the challenges they're living. And it gives us just a little bit more empathy to live with each other. Absolutely. Well, we strongly suggest that folks go and check it out. The uh, You can find them online at uh, massimadi.ca. That's M-A-S-S-I-M-A-D-I dot C-A. Uh, and I believe from there they can find uh, all of the links that they're looking for. Thank you so much, Naomi, for joining us. And uh, thank you, obviously, to Dr. Christopher Wells, who I spoke to earlier um i'm not going to thank sebastian because i think he cursed the show that's my uh, that's my takeaway um and we're we'll playing out with quicksand by cedar roots uh, that's it from can queer this week and we'll be back next week thanks for listening
out in quicksand, the harder I struggle, the more I am stuck. Keep on rolling that dice, running out of love. Hoping to get out of this mess.